Everybody and welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you are listening to episode number 98 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. Episode number 98, that means too shy of triple digits, and in two weeks' time, I will mark that episode accordingly. I think it will be the kickoff to Oscar weekend, so a lot to, uh, to celebrate at that particular point, in addition to crossing the uh, triple-digit milestone. So looking forward to that, again, only made possible by your support, your encouragement, and most important of all, your friendship. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being a part of this cinematic journey each week and letting me fill you in, if you will, on movies and cinema alike. Now that is the subject and topic of today's episode. A lot to talk with you about two Oscar-nominated films, two contenders for Best Picture, and frankly, two films that are on opposite sides, if you will, of the spectrum. One much more in the dramatic category, historical context, the other one more so in the comedy uh, realm, though I would say it also does blend a little bit with uh, with drama, so it might imply it being a, a dramedy. But uh, the the subject matters could not be any more stark. And of course, the films that I am talking about today on the first end will be Killers of the Flower Moon. This is Martin Scorsese's three and a half hour historical epic, which is one of the most engaging and truly emotionally haunting films that I have seen in quite some time. And, you know, haunting, not in the sense that it is a horror film, though there are horrifying moments in this film. It is very much a a real-life uh, story. It's a true story based on what happened to the Osage Indian tribe in Oklahoma over, at this point, over 100 years ago. And the absolute travesty that was done to this people all in the name of greed and avarice. But more on that in a little bit. On the other end, American Fiction, the stars Jeffrey Wright, and this movie is a a splendid surprise. Again, this was not one that was on my radar, but it sort of snuck up on me, and it is it really is easily one of the best films from last year, and I can see why it made a lot of people's rankings, and I'm delighted to see that it is uh, being uh, praised and, and receiving number of, of nominations, particularly for Jeffrey Wright in the Best Actor category. Um, in a year where Killian Murphy wasn't up for Oppenheimer, I would be pulling for Jeffrey Wright, uh, because this is, a, this is truly a, a masterful performance, and it's, it's not a showy 
performance, uh, as is often the case with a number of, uh, of, of acting categories. This is very much in, in the subtleties. And he has a, a dry wit about him. I mean, he's a very, he's a very accomplished actor in, in his own right. And he can certainly do, he can do comedy, he can do horror, he can do drama. He's um, most recently been uh, Commissioner, or soon to be probably Commissioner Gordon in the uh, Robert Pattinson Batman films. And so he's very versatile and can, can really uh, you know, bring out something unique and special with each performance that he's in. He he really leaves a mark, even for a small role. He was even uh, in the um, uh, Daniel Craig James Bond films. He popped up a number of times, and he's he's always he's always an actor who delivers. And and this is again one of those cases where he is uh, he's really firing on all uh, on all cylinders. So those are the two Oscar nominated films that I wanted to uh, to touch on. Certainly, these are not. Uh, all of them, uh, but I, I wanted to profile uh, a, a couple just ahead of, of Oscar Sunday, and certainly going into Oscar weekend, I will give you my predictions on on the winners uh, for that night, who I hope <laughs> will be the winners uh, on that night. But uh, I wanted to, to really talk about these two films, one, because they are so different in terms of tone, in terms of story, um, but, but the, the sort of unifying factor are, are the performances. These are truly magnificent films with standout uh, first-rate uh, first performances, and both of them just happen to be Oscar-nominated films as well. So this is a little uh, pre-Oscar tease, if you will. And then lastly, to close out today's show, I will conclude with a sort of a, a, a mini review. Won't be an in-depth one. I expect I'll do a full-length episode uh, at some point, but do a little tease ahead of next week's Dune Part Two. I will give you my my thoughts and and review of Dune Part One, which came out in 2021, and this is of course ahead of Dune Part Two, which is coming out next Friday, though I will be seeing it on February 29th. And so when I, uh, when, when the episode drops next week, uh, you will be getting uh, close to a real-time reaction. Uh, I will be coming home from the theater and recording my thoughts and, and immediate uh, reactions to, to the film, which is garnering tremendous praise. Uh, you know, there's always, of course, the danger when there's so much hype and anticipation that, you know, can a film meet that level of, of intrigue? Well, by all accounts, and this again, as of the recording of this episode, the film has garnered tremendous praise with many people calling it one of the greatest films ever, ever made. Certainly one of the best films of this century. It is being put up in the same pantheon as The Godfather Part Two, The Empire Strikes Back, Terminator 2, The Dark Knight, uh, certainly a sequel that surpasses the original in every shape and form. So I'm looking forward to seeing this film in, in just, un, just over a week, under a week. So I'll, uh, I'll report back next week with a, a real-time reaction. And as I said, I will undoubtedly do a full-length episode Probably, maybe I'll divide it into two parts, kind of like the films, uh, and and do a more in-depth discussion and analysis. It'll probably be a good episode for uh, a special guest star uh, or two. So uh, we'll uh, save that for uh, after the Oscars. But that is what is coming up 
uh, over the next uh, few weeks and, of course, what's going on here today. So back to the first main topic, and that is on Killers of the Flower Moon and American fiction. So Killers of the Flower Moon, it is actually based on the same, uh, the book of the same name. And I'll start off first with just a, a brief reaction to the book, because while it provides the basis for this film, uh, again, as I said, it, it's describing what happened to the Osage uh, Indian tribe in Oklahoma and sort of the involvement of the FBI into a series of murders uh, in this in this community. Now, the the book certainly details that that horrific event, but it is much more on the on the um, the point of view, shall we say, of the FBI. It, it's really an FBI story, and and that is one that has been profiled and and told many many times in many forms. Uh, and that certainly it's a compelling angle because at, at the at the core, this this whole event triggers the the creation of, of what ultimately would be the FBI. Uh, but that is not how the movie goes. And, and I have to say that was a that was a masterful stroke. Uh, Ma- uh, Martin Scorsese, who who wrote and directed the film, and, and just right at the top, I have to say, <laughs> the guy still got it. I mean, you know, he is he is an eighty. 80-odd-year-old man, and, and he is firing on all cylinders. And, I mean, I would put this film right up there in, in, in the top five of, of his best work. It, this is, I mean, I, I know I sort of use this word a lot, but it is cinema. This is, this is a piece of cinema. Um, but interestingly, when, when, he was, when he was writing the film, he very much started it uh, from... You know, sort of the point of view of the book, and it really focused on the FBI. It focused on Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and interestingly enough, uh, Lily Gladstone's character, her her character, or or the or the, the person she plays of, uh, of of Molly, she was barely in the film, barely in the script, and that was a that was a decision, a change that was I, I think warranted because. The real story here, it's not about the FBI. It's not about the creation of that organization. And it's its not really about the investigation, even though that is the sort of the central tenet. The real, the real story here is about, about two people who were in love and the incredible betrayal that happens. And it just sort of plays into the whole fact of... of what happened to these these gentle and kind people uh the film is is moving it is it is a it is a prolific account of greed of avarice of scheming of betrayal of loyalties i i mean the the central sort of hook if you will involved a number of members of the, of this tribe dying off in in mysterious ways, or maybe not mysterious ways, but a number of them were dying off, and it happened so that it happened enough that it triggered an investigation. And interestingly enough, a number of these uh, of these um, Osage uh, members were marrying 
um, we're, we're marrying, you know, people, you know, sort, you know, white men, if you will. And they were, you know, they were, you know, essentially, you know, you know getting married. And then when they were, when they were you know, dying off rather mysteriously or, or um, you know, with, with great suspect, it, it, they were, you know, leaving all of their, all of their wealth, all of their, their possessions, if you will, to, to their husbands. And that, of course, is, is really where, where, where the where the rub lies and is very much at the heart of of this utterly tragic tale and so in the case of 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 Molly who is a played brilliantly and and devastatingly by Lily Gladstone again sidebar she she should win the Oscar this year this is a, a, a just a, a beautiful and and tragic performance and she does it you know, I, I mentioned earlier about you know showy performances. This is very much a subtle performance. There's it's a grandiose circumstance and situation, but Lily Gladstone brings such a a finesse to it that a lot of it lies in the details, in the glances, in the the reactions. Her her eyes truly tell a story, but. Uh, back back to the sort of the main main uh, uh, plot, if you will, Molly is is very sick. She she is sick throughout much of the film, and there's there's no explanation why, but she just can't seem to be getting any better. And and her husband, Ernest, who is played also brilliantly by Leonardo DiCaprio, he is charged with giving her her medicine, and. Again, she trusts him implicitly. Again, there, there, much of the story, much of the, the, the plot revolves around this, this real improbable love story. And, and you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, he, he plays sort of this, you know, guy who's trying to figure out uh, his life. And he comes back uh, to his, um, you know, to his hometown and once there, he sort of goes under the wing, uh, is taken under the wing, if you will, of his of his uncle, a guy named William King Hale, who's played just magnificently by the great uh, Robert De Niro. And, and and Ernest, you know, he's a veteran, but he's he's trying to figure out what exactly to you know to to, to do with his life. And what ends up happening is he he sort of discovers this uh this friendship this kinship if you will uh through uh, with Lily and you know it's very much a you know sort of a, a flirtatious uh you know romance at, at at the start where he starts you know doing his job as a cab driver and he's you know taking her back and for taking her back and forth and uh you know ultimately of course their their romance uh develops and and they have a they have a you know they get married they have three children uh and, and it's very much you know a, a, an interesting you know you know sort of, or, you know a, a, a beautiful love story like in many ways you would think oh well, you know ha- happily ever after well that that is not the case uh because inter- you know sort of behind the scenes uh Ernest's uncle is orchestrating all of these killings of many many wealthy members of of the osage tribe and again it's all it's all for greed it's all it's all for you know for 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 you know for money's sake and you know again the idea is that you know by 
killing off these people, uh, you know, they'll accumulate more wealth, more property, more status, more uh, influence. And again, it's all it's all about money. And as I mentioned, Molly is, is, is sickly. She's diabetic and she gets progressively worse. Her family ends up dying again, all under sort of natural, but at the same time, mysterious circumstances. And it's again, what's this whole event that triggers the, the investigation. And God, it, it, I was, I was gutted by the end of this film. A- absolutely gutted. And what I think is so remarkable and and brilliant about this film is it does not hold back. You know, th- this is not an attempt to, you know, gloss over what happened. Martin Scorsese is is showing exactly what happened to this to this tribe, to these people, and, and he spares he spares no detail. He spares absolutely no detail, and I think that. That is where the real strength of of this film lies. It, it's not, you know, some people have knocked. Oh, it's it, it's you know it's it's a you know, too long of a film. And, and I will grant, you know, three and a half hours is a long time. And, and I will say that, for, you know, for me, I don't have to watch this film again. Not from the standpoint that oh, it's it's a travesty. No, uh, or you know, it's a bad film. But the the story, the the emotional rigor that you are put th- put through as a viewer, it's it's almost one of those experiences you can't replicate it, and in a lot of ways you don't want to replicate it again because it is so painful because there is there is truth in this entire story. Again, I was both astonished and sobered by watching this film. I mean, again, putting aside. The performances, the cinematography, the direction, the script. I mean, those are all technical achievements. But just from the gripping nature of the story, and, and again, the fact that this this happened, this is not some fictionalized, I mean, again, there might be some uh, creative liberties, liberties taken here or there, but this is, this is a true story. And, and I think that's what makes it work, makes it hurt all the more uh, so. And again, I think it's why it has an effectiveness you are you know you, you don't want it to be true you you want leonardo DiCaprio's character to to do the right thing you want him to to steer clear of of his of his uncle and yes you know he, he does there's there's testifying and, and whatnot but it, it comes at a cost he he was poisoning his wife he was betraying the love of his life all for money, all to accumulate, accumulate fortune and power and, and targeting people for no other purpose other than they had something and somebody else wanted it. It, it, is, it is brutal. It is an absolutely brutal story, and it will, it will leave you sobered. I mean, you, you watch this film, and you, you, you just can't help but feel, feel shame, feel feel disappointment feel hurt it's it's awful and it's it's rather interesting this is not something that is taught much in school i i you know i was thinking back to my my ap history class in high school and we danced over this this era which is kind of interesting and and disappointing because 
this is a crucial part of of American history. It, it, it's it's unflattering. It's it's hurtful. It's wrong. It's tragic. But it is part of American history, and, and this should be at the forefront. And I I applaud Martin Scorsese for for making this film. It had been very easy to to gloss over this story and, and do what was originally intended to tell it from the point of view of of the FBI. Uh, and the and the agent in this film is played by uh Jesse Flemons and, and and he is again the cast in this movie just as an aside is brilliant. Nobody phones in a performance. Nobody is half-baked. Every perf- performance is top-notch. And, and that's, again, to be expected in something uh, by Scorsese. But back again to the subject matter, you could have easily gone a different route with this film. And, and yes, it could have been factual, it could have been true, but you would have been missing something important. You would have been missing the key tenant, which, which is this this story. And the fact that that Lily Gladstone's character went from only appearing in a few pages of the script initially to having what is essentially the lead role was a stroke of of brilliance. And again, it really shifts the perspective instead of just saying, okay, well, here's the story of the FBI coming in to save the day, but instead showing sort of the failures of the system to show what was going on behind the scenes, so to speak, and doing what the best of movies can accomplish, which is to put the audience, to put the viewer in the shoes of the individual characters. And so, you know, we're we're going on this journey with DiCaprio. We're going on this journey with, with Gladstone, and we're seeing the world, quote-unquote, through their eyes and their reactions. And, and it's, it is a, a ride, and not in like an amusement park sense, but just a, an emotional ride where you, can, you have such incredible highs at moments and then really uh, despondent lows. It, it is a film that, that does not relent. And, and I am, as I said, I'm, I'm grateful that this film exist. I'm glad that it was made because there's something to say here. And it can, in a lot of ways, remind viewers, remind people about this part of American history that, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say this was not part of the curriculum uh, for you know an AP history class. It was just sort of danced over. And again, I'm not in, in, inferring or implying any uh, nefarious intent. I just think there's, you know, it's one of those stories where you know you sort of you know put it on it. They put it on a note card, if you will, and then you move on to the next, the next event. Or, or the focus might have been more on, say, the creation of the FBI, if you will. Uh, but, but frankly, this is a much more impactful story that, again, has repercussions to the present day. And just to to sort of put a bow on on it, because I could really go on at great length about this film just from from a technical standpoint from from sort of you know the, the cinematic landscape because it is it is a visually stunning film amid all of this heartache and betrayal and greed but the performance i mean from de niro to dicaprio to even brendan fraser who appears in the film albeit briefly the real star is lily gladstone this performance 
is one for the ages. And she, she brings a truth, she brings a sensibility to it. Again, she is not Osage, but, but she has the experience, she has the understanding to, to commit to this role and, and provide a, a sense and sensibility that, that otherwise may not uh, be found. And, and she's, sort of the backstory about how, how she got this role is rather fascinating. Uh, she's been an actress for, for quite some time, but she wasn't feeling like she was you know, getting, you know, getting enough roles or her career wasn't going in the direction she wanted. So she was actually in the process of becoming an accountant, of all things, before this opportunity uh, came to her. And, and what an opportunity, because this performance, it is, it is devastating. And yet, at the same time, the film elevates her in a way that, that you know, yes, we, we have tremendous sympathy, and, and, and you feel bad, but, but you were also, you're, you're there and you rise with her as she ultimately rises above the tragedy of the situation. Uh, she is certainly shaped by it, but she is, she's, you'd be damned to, be, uh, to have it define her. And there is this final moment between her and and Ernest, where sort of the truth comes out, and it, it is it is such a heart wrenching scene where again it's it's done without without necessarily a lot of flashy dialogue. You know, someone else, another director, might have said, "All right, this is a great time for for passionate monologues and and sort of over the top speeches," and that's not the case here. Again, much of the performances lie in the subtleties, reaction, much as to say action, if you will. But dear God, this, this film is, is one for the ages. Um, as I said, it's not a film that I would, I would rush back to, just from the standpoint of the emotional rigor that it puts you through. I mean, I, I would never say that I will, I will not watch it again because I imagine uh, I will revisit it at some point, but you really—it it stays with you. I mean, again, I—I haven't—I I saw it a couple months ago, and I am still impacted by this film. And that, again, that is the power uh, of movies. And I, I'm glad that I was able to compare it to the book. And and I, as I, I think I mentioned last week, I was reading the book, and it—it's. It, it, you know, the story is there, but it is not what we get on on film, and and, and that is that is the real triumph of this particular story. That that it it goes in the direction uh, that it does because it leaves something impactful that you know that affects you again in, in both negative and and positive responses, but but also an acknowledgement of what happened and, and, and an awareness of a, a painful truth and, and part of American history. So I'll just say to, to, to tie up this end, uh, I would highly recommend checking out this film. It, it, is, it, is, worth, it is worth the watch. Uh, it is three and a half hours. Uh, I never felt the length. I, I was so engaged and caught up with the story that that I never felt it. I you know I sort of said early on uh, in 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 jest, but also with some truth 
uh, a film like Maestro is two hours, and that felt like a five-hour film, whereas Killers of the Flower Moon is three and a half hours, and I never felt its runtime. So, I mean, again, a lot of times it comes down to sort of engagement and, and overall interest in the particular story. And I will just leave one last point, because the film ends in a rather clever way. And again, this is another hat tip to Scorsese. Normally, with a historical drama, at some point, usually by the end of the film, you will be treated and, and, and subjected to endless text on the screen, paragraphs, if you will, kind of summing up what happened after the fact. And that is not the case with this particular film. Yes, there are moments of, of text and whatnot, but Scorsese ends the film by showing us what happened and telling us what happened, not through the usual quote-unquote paragraph reading against a black screen, but through representation in a radio play, uh, an old you know, uh, you know, stage play, if you will. And I thought that was a brilliant way to end the film. One, it, it sort of it keeps with, with the time and, and tenor of the film, but also gets the information to the audience in a much more creative and impactful way instead of just having it be a bunch of words on the screen where your eyes glaze over, you're still caught up in in the story and in the experience of of this movie, and so I just have to say that was that was another uh, great technique to to really tie together this film and and really deliver home the message to to the audience. Uh, again, one of the one of last year's best films, and and I was saying to a friend the other day. In a year where Oppenheimer was not the the front runner, if you will, or the year where Oppenheimer was not released, I could see this film garnering much more attention than it has. Not to say that it's it's been shut out because it has been nominated uh, for many accolades, but uh, I, you know it, it's one of those movies where I expect it will continue to to receive uh, appreciation and 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 credit because. It is a, a staggering and sobering achievement that, again, does not mince words. This is this is not a a whitewashing of of history. This is this is the unvarnished and, and painful and yes, accurate truth. So, hats off to to Scorsese and to everyone involved. This film is you know not to to overuse that word, but I think it is fitting a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece of a movie all right and now for a, a change of, of pace a change of tone if you will on to american fiction and like i said today was going to be two two sides of the of the spectrum and, and certainly uh this is a, a good palate cleanser uh if you will and that's not to you know diminish uh the film in in either capacity but uh certainly killers of the flower moon there's a lot of heavy material and this this feels like a great way to to tie up this conversation uh, before I get into the first Dune. So American Fiction, which stars Jeffrey Wright as Thelonious Monk Ellison, who is a frustrated novelist who has written countless books, but none of them have made any money. And while he is taken seriously, he has been unable to sort of make it in the uh, 
the, the writing industry. And he looks at a lot of these books that are written by uh, black authors that are sort of playing to stereotypes and offensive tropes. And he's sort of frustrated that these books are dominating the, uh, the, the sales market, if you will. And so sort of as a, as a, as a joke, as a goof, he tries, to, or I should say he tries, he writes a book that is in that tradition, in that style, not thinking it'll be taken seriously. And of course, it is taken seriously. He writes it under a pen name in order to separate uh, his previous work from this uh, story. And, and it becomes an overnight bestseller. And he's sort of caught up in this uh, creative chaos, if you will, of an industry that wants and craves this kind of entertainment as opposed to thoughtful and methodical literature, which is something that he has espoused and written about for years and years. And it's it's just a, a, a wonderful blend of both comedy and, and drama. I would really say this is a dramedy more so than anything else, but the, the humor in the film is, is quite subtle. And the film, in a lot of ways, is a unique look at sort of the book industry and, and writing in, in general. And I love how it takes this sort of an absurd approach. And, and as an author, Monk is figuring no one is going to buy this story. No one's going to take this story seriously. And he sort of purposely writes this over-the-top and, and outlandish book that he believes is nothing more than a satirical uh, satire or a satirical stereotype on, on black books. Because there's sort of this, um, uh, there's another author in the film who has written basically what he is de uh, what he is uh, decrying the sort of this just for entertainment's uh, sake you know over the top uh, narratives and and he's thinking you know people won't you know can't you know won't, won't buy that but, you know he, he wants to be taken seriously as as a writer and as a novelist and so he's like well I'm just gonna see if I can I can you know prove you know be proven wrong and of course uh, you know he, he, he isn't proven wrong because people end up uh, is sort of you know going uh, insane for this book, and and there's movie deals that are thrown at him, and there's all this money that keeps uh, piling in, and and he's sort of amazed by it, and he uses a pen name to try to uh, separate himself from his his actual work, and he creates a a fictional backstory, and yet it just seems to build up this anticipation and love for this this book that he considers otherwise to be. Uh, a joke. It's it's a it's a satire. It's not meant to be taken seriously, but yet people take it as gospel. And it's just sort of an interesting commentary, if you will, on on sort of the the, the state of the of the writing industry and and what sells versus what doesn't sell. And and Jeffrey Wright is just at the top of of, of leading this effort. It, it's it, it's a brilliant performance. And as I said early on, in, in a year without Killian Murphy, uh, I, I mean, there would be no reason this that this performance couldn't be the 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 takeaway for for best actor. I mean, frankly, I mean, if it were to happen, I would be I would be delighted because this is a this is a a, a masterclass performance that that sort of balances all of the right elements. There's humor, there there there's drama, and in addition to sort of the you know the 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 gist of the story being about this frustrated novelist, there's a lot of personal and family dynamics at play that really sort of tie together the whole film. And, and there's ultimately a, a twist, and I'm not going to spoil it because it really does, it, it comes as a shock when you're seeing it, but then it ultimately, uh, it ties together 
the absurdist nature of this entire movie's premise and and delivers something that is entire is entirely satisfactory but certainly the the reason that this film works so well is Jeffrey Wright uh, in in the role of of Felonious Monk he he is he's he's sarcastic he's humorous but but there's also a sort of a an earnestness to his portrayal and and I love seeing him as this as this um this frustrated novelist who who just wants to be taken seriously who just wants his work to be appreciated to be valued and yet he sort of you know feels he has to you know sort of lower his standards in order to sort of be taken seriously and to generate a a, a profit and and some steady revenue from uh, the industry that he has spent his entire life but no it, it's a it is a phenomenal performance that that is I mean, in, in, as I said, in a year without Oppenheimer and, and Killian Murphy, I would be pulling for, for Jeffrey Wright. And, and if for some reason Jeffrey Wright was to be the surprise uh, winner on, on Oscar night, it, it would be well worth it. Th- this film is, is delightfully funny. It is sharp. It's smartly written. The script is brilliant. I mean, again... There's never a moment where the pacing feels off. It just it carries from scene to scene. And, and that's really the thing. The, the movie, from the moment it starts to the minute the credits roll, again, right with that twist at the end, you're never, you're never distracted. It, you are just so caught up in this story. And that is a testament to, to Jeffrey Wright. I mean, the, the, the whole cast is absolutely brilliant and, and hilarious. And, and, and Sterling K. Brown plays his his brother and and he's quite a character in in this film and they really they balance off each other uh remarkably well but this is jeffrey wright's film without question and and he is the he is the glue if you will that that holds the film together and and just brings it all uh so so perfectly uh into just this absurd and yet at times you know brilliantly uh, satirical and yet, you know, sort of illustrative commentary on on sort of on sort of society, on on writing, on on black culture. It, it's uh, it, it's it, it is a must see, and I can understand why this is a this is viewed by in many uh, Oscar circles as as a sleeper uh, candidate, as maybe a, a dark horse, if you will. That um, you know, you know, could pull some surprises on Oscar night. I, for one, uh, would not be surprised if it did have a did have a few wins because th- this movie is, you know, again, it, it's it's brilliant, it's funny, and it, it ultimately has it has something to say, which all great films do. But but this one in particular, it it shines a spotlight on on humanity, and I think ultimately it's it's shining a light. On, on truth and it does it through not not through through lecture not through uh, through scold but through humor and humor is the great sort of equalizer in a way because if you can can laugh at, at a situation you can ultimately understand a situation and understand points of view better than you would if it was to come at you in a more dramatic and and sort of a you know, a, you know dictatorial fashion that is not the case uh with this film this film the humor is in many ways it's it's great sword and it uses it 
brilliantly, again, heralded by Jeffrey Wright's phenomenal and pointedly funny performance. All right, so there we have two Oscar contenders for you, Killers of the Flower Moon and American Fiction. Both I would recommend you checking out either at home if it's an option to, to stream it or if they are playing. I know some theaters are showing both of these films uh, at, at varied times. So if you have an opportunity to see them on the big screen, I would say take that opportunity because, again, I will always advocate for the theatrical experience uh, over the uh, at-home experience. But again, whatever is, your, uh, whatever is your comfort, whatever is your option, just see these films. They are truly remarkable and, and special films that, that highlight the best of cinema for last year. But now, on to the last topic. As promised, a, a quick review for Dune Part 1, if, if that's even possible. Uh, I promise I will circle back once Dune Part 2 releases, and I've had some time to see the film and, and probably see it multiple times. But I, I do think it will be fun to do a full-length discussion and review on both films because to try and and sort of digest this down to a few uh, a few sound bites is really doing the film a disservice. But I will try nevertheless. Dune Part 1 is, as you would presume, the first half of the book Dune, by Frank Herbert. And this came out in, I believe it was in early 1965. I believe that was when it was released. And it has been celebrated as one of the best pieces of science fiction ever written. And there's been multiple adaptations of this, of, of, the, of his work. And there's a multiple uh, follow-ups uh, beyond the original book. And there was a film in 1984, I believe, uh, by director, uh, director David Lynch, and that one's sort of a, you know, it's a mixed bag, and and, and you know, not to uh, sort of a, you know, rain on it too much, but the mistake I think was made by trying to condense a lot of heavy material, philosophies, themes of politics, religion, society, if you will, down into about two hours. Uh, you, you can't do that with the scope of this of this narrative and do it justice. And so right off the bat, I think that was the stroke of genius uh, by, uh, by director Denis Villeneuve with dividing the film into two parts because part one is, is just that. It, it really is the world-building film. This, this movie is, is so grand in its scope. It's, it's certainly in, in the conversation as, as a great sci-fi adventure epic and 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 certainly you know i i could you know understand if someone would rank it as one of the greatest ever made of course referring to part one in this context uh because it is a marvel it is very much an odyssey the performances are are standout and that's i mean not to necessarily you know uh, cry foul about the genre but a lot of times in these films, these types of films, I should say, you will not get standout performances, or or you might get half and half. 
everybody in Dune Part 1, whether it's Oscar Isaac, whether it's Timothy Chalamet, whether it's Dave Bautista, whether it's Jason Momoa, like, everybody delivers a top-notch performance. Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya for as, as brief as she's in the first film, everybody is is not phoning it in. These are serious, grounded performances. And I think that helps with the believability of the world because oftentimes with sci-fi, at least I feel, if the performance is half-baked, you're going to lose you're going to lose focus in the world. And so it doesn't matter how much intricacies and, and plot and, and world-building structure there is, if the performances aren't there, everything else falls apart. Well, Dune has all of that. It has performances, but it also has the excellent, excellent quote-unquote stagecraft, if you will, the cinematography, the score, the just the structure of the film. You, you, you feel like when you're watching the first one, you feel like you're, you're, you're being a part of an odyssey, a, a giant epic, if you will. And it, it transports you t- into that world. Um, you know, again, it, you know, for me, I, I was a little mixed when I saw it the first time, but even I have come around to, to truly appreciating it as this wonderful and, and magnetic and just grandiose uh, sci-fi epic that, that truly is uh, for all intents and purposes, a work of cinema. And again, that's, I think, part of the reason why these films, you know, in particularly in this case, the first one, resonates with so many people is that it's it's all played seriously. There's nobody winking at the camera. There's no campy performances. Everything is being taken seriously and real. And it's, again, dealing with themes and philosophies that, that we ourselves deal with in our own lives, in our own politics, but yet it's put in the context of a- another world, another another galaxy, if you will, that it kind of makes it all the more exciting and and even relatable. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, he 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 anchors the film as as Paul, and again, the, the uh, he he never turns in a bad performance. I, I will just say that, and you know, I wasn't going to you know lean too heavily into Dune Part Two, but just from what I have seen of the uh, the snapshots and and the uh, early reviews that have uh, have come out it looks like he, he just continues it even more so uh with the sequel but no dune part one i i would say watch it even if you're not a fan of necessarily the genre from just a a cinematic standpoint from a technical achievement from just great storytelling and world building it's all there in this film it, it really does feel like this sort of larger-than-life uh, tome poem, if you will, brought to life, you know, right there in 3D. And and it's truly, it's an ex- it's an experience. That would be how I would describe the first Dune. It's an experience, and it's really something you have to see in order to believe, in order to understand. I know that probably <laughs> may seem like a cop-out, and, and I apologize, uh, you know, if you take it that way. But I, I really do feel it's it's one of those movies, you have to experience it in order to truly appreciate its value and, and, and for what it has to say. But uh, all that being said, I am, I'm, 
feverishly looking forward to the Dune Part 2. Again, all these early reviews have just sort of cranked up my excitement and anticipation to an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. So that should tell you uh, how I feel about going into the sequel. But I will save that for next week's show. Again, there'll be a kind of a live reaction, if you will, right after after seeing the film. So it'll be fresh and uh you know, you know, post leaving the theater. So uh, you know, again, once the once the, the temperatures uh cool, I will certainly do a full length review and and discussion on on that film and the first one as well, just so you can kind of look at it in, in, in the context of as as one movie. Because that's what I think is so exciting. The first film really ends just as sort of the as as the energy reaches that sort of fever pitch point. And and I mean what a great way to to segue into to part two because it sort of leaves you at your highest uh moment. Again, bravo, bravo. That's all I have to say. But I will uh I will leave it right there for Dune. We'll pick it up more next week with my reaction and thoughts on part two. I hope you have a great weekend. I know I will be having a great weekend. I'm going to be seeing Tenet, which is Christopher Nolan's 2020 film, which, again, that's a film you have to experience. That That's a vibe movie in every sense of the word. But uh, I never got to see it on the big screen when it was released in 2020 on account of the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to seeing that film. And I will certainly chime in with my thoughts and reactions uh, at a later point in date. I will leave it. There for now, I'll be back next week, and we will certainly do this all over again for the love of movies. All copyright material used or referenced in this show belong to the rightful owners and is made possible by the Fair Use Act. Thank you for listening to Phil at the Movies.